You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Let's turn to Judges chapter 17. We are... The end is in sight. I don't know if that's something you look forward to, like let's get back to some normal stories or whatever, but uh, it's coming, but not yet. Not yet. We've got a little ways to go in the end of Judges 17, but if you, uh, the whole book of Judges, but five more chapters really. And uh, so head to Judges 17 is where we're going to be looking today, this entire chapter. On your way there, we've got some uh, picture here. Oh, lots of good pictures from last week, everybody. It was just so, I hope you... On your way out, I hope you sometimes you take a browse, look at them. I've, I put the bulletins by them so you know which week, but uh, I just love what you kids are drawing and, and figuring out. But this one's from Annika, so I don't normally get pictures from Annika. I think this might be the first. I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, so Annika drew this, and last week we were in that finishing, wrapping up Samson, this one wayward one of God who God used sovereignly to bring uh, deliverance over the Philistines, and there he is, tied up, but he's in the pillars, and that roof is about to fall down. Not because, primarily because of Samson's strength, but the God who was behind Samson. So, thank you, Annika, and thank you to the rest of you who are drawn and, and showing us those. Check them out uh, in the front entrance there. All right, well, Judges 17, let's look through, I'm going to just read through this chapter for us, so we get just an overview and an idea of what's, of what's ahead. Here's God's word in Judges 17, verse 1. There was a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, The 1,100 pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse and also spoke it in my ears, behold, the silver is with me. I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be my son by the Lord. And he restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I dedicate the silver to the Lord from my hand for my son to make a carved image and a metal image. Now, therefore, I will restore it to you. So when he restored the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith who made it into a carved image and a metal image. And it was in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine, and he made an ephod, and household gods, and ordained one of his sons who became his priest. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now there was a young man of Bethlehem in Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. And the man departed from the town of Bethlehem in Judah to sojourn where he could find a place. And as he journeyed, he came to the hill country of Ephraim to the house of Micah. Micah said to him, where do you come from? And he said to him, I'm a Levite of Bethlehem in Judah, and I'm going to sojourn where I may find a place. Micah said to him, stay with me, be to me a father and a priest And I will give you ten pieces of silver a year and a suit of clothes and your living. And the Levi went in. And the Levi was content to dwell with the man and the young man became to him like one of his sons. And Micah ordained the Levite and the young man became his priest and was in the house of Micah. 
Then Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite as a priest. Let's pray once again. Lord, again, as we, as we open up Your Word, I just pray for, for Your graciousness on our time. Would You be gracious to us that we might understand what is before us in Your Word. Father, there are maybe places that are easier to work through or to understand in some ways, and yet here we are in this particular chapter, again, providentially on this weekend, on this 10th of October, with all of these people gathered together. And so may You work in this moment for Your glory through Your Word. May your word do the work today that would honor you and we would leave here encouraged to walk with you, uh, walk and, and follow you, Lord. And we pray this in your name. Amen. I want to show you a sign I made this week, and I'm going to keep it up here during the sermon. Here's the sign I made this week. I figured out, I was pretty proud, I figured out how to make this on a computer. Um, you, you are probably able to figure out what this sign says. I'll hold it up for a But in case you could, I didn't bring a mirror up here, but if you held it, and I tested it just to make sure, but if you hold it in front of a mirror, you can read it a lot easier. And in front of a mirror, it's like, like ambulance on the front of an ambulance made to, to read in the mirror. It's a sign that says, every, I'm just going to put this right here, everything is backwards. And what we're going to find in these last chapters of Judges is this. And at some points, the text itself, I think, looks like this in some ways. And we're going, what is going on here? I mean, we got concubines and parents will navigate that through all the whatever stories we have coming here. Uh, but there's just stuff going on. And you go, what? It's just, it's backwards. And, and there's some challenging passages. Some look, and I, and I think rightly, it's, Many look at at the last chapter. So we're in the last five chapters of this book. They look at it as an appendix, like two appendices to the book of Judges. So we're kind of in the through Samson, we finished you know the majority of the book. Now we're kind of in the those last few closing chapters, uh, just to kind of look back and give maybe I think even a broad view. Many see the events here occurring chronologically before or in the beginning of the judge's time period. How all that works, I'm really challenged to figure it all out, um, but many would see these as kind of looking back as even prior to Samson and some of the other judges. You can sort all that out uh, yourselves. But, but it's in these passages where we really find that familiar phrase, what I took time to read in verse 6 of our passage even today. The phrase that says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. We're going to see that again. It, it's kind of, I think, an exclamation point, these last chapters, just on the apostasy or the faithlessness, the waywardness of this people and how they went astray, the people of Israel. When people have no, there's no godly king to follow, and they just do whatever seems right to them. And so everything becomes backwards. We see it in our world today. You can look around. We look in our world or look in our nation and it seems there, it looks like 
this sign many times. I don't know if you have, you watch the news or you see some new thing they're proposing or whatever, even in our nation, you go, it's just so backwards. It's just foolish. And the, the lack of reality going on in our world, nation around us. And just look, it's just what's going on. Everyone, I think you could say, there is much of doing what is right in their own eyes. That's just looking around. However, I don't think this part of Judges is, is written for a world already lost in sin. I mean, I mean, we already know the world is going to do what's right in their eyes. It's, it's interesting here. I don't think the author is writing this just so we would know what things should look like you know, or will look like in America or around the world, that sort of thing, even though we can apply it and go, yeah, I mean, we see that. It, it's written, I think, a bit more specific. To who? It's to God's people. It's those, those chosen here, Israel, they're called out to be a nation. And for us who have been called by God's grace, we're grafted in by faith in Christ, that we're one Israel, the church, the people of God. So I think far less than a book to explain merely the world to us, uh, it's, it's for a specific people. A, a people here who ought to know, as we see in the De- book of Deuteronomy, they ought to know the truth. They ought to know what is right to do. Not their own eyes, but in the sight of God. But here we find a people in rebellion. No king doing whatever's right in their eyes. One example is before us in chapter 17 today. That's what is before us one and and i think this is just a guess one out of maybe thousands i don't know how many other houses looked like the house we just read about here but here we're in the house of micah so let's head back into our text at verse one where it says this there was a man of the hill country of ephraim whose name was micah that's where we're at this hill country of ephraim kind of north of jerusalem middle We've talked about Ephraim before. That I think we last saw him at the Civil War. Uh, was it the, the Gileadites, I believe, the Jephthah, that the Civil War happened in the Jordan? You can't say Shibboleth, Sibboleth, and that war ensued 42,000 of them. Well, here we're in that hill country, and more specifically, one individual named Micah. And all activity here for the next two chapters, 17 and 18, and then 19 through 21 is going to deal with its own rigmarole, its own decay. But here, 17 and 18, is kind of going to deal with this house of Micah. By the way, the name of Micah means this. It's who is like Yahweh. It's the, the me is kind of a, a who, the k of Micah is like. It can use the word, be the word like. So who is like Yah, Micah, Yah, maybe a shortened form. Michael's very close, so we share that. I'm looking at Micah over here. We share that, you know. Micah, you're not here in this story, but that's your name. So, okay. I don't know if there's any. I think that's the only Micah we have. But uh, who is like Yahweh? But what we see here, this Micah, this one in their text, is far from honoring him. Look at one of the first instances of this backwardness in this house as it relates to true worship of the Lord. Look at verse 2 now. Let's go there. So here it says, and he, so it's Micah, and he said to his mother, the 1,100 pieces of silver that were taken from you about which you uttered a curse and also spoken in my ears, behold, the silver is with me. I took it. And his mother said, blessed be my son by the Lord. 
And then we'll get into the other verses there. It, it may be tempting here, if, if you're like me, you're, when you see 1100, you kind of go, oh, wait, I've seen that somewhere before. We just saw it last, was it last week, well, the week before, the 1100 pieces of silver given to Delilah, 1100 times 5, in order to betray Samson. And so we're tempted to, you know, eke out what's the connection, what's going on here. It's, for me, it's just it's hard to be sure. I, I think there's some correlation. I'm just not all too sure on, on just what it is, other than to say this. We've got the same issues going on that were an issue in Samson's life. Samson did what was right in Samson's eyes. Maybe the 1100 kind of connects us. We're going to even see the tribe of Dan who Samson was from. So there's, there's some correlation here, but here's Samson doing what's right in his own. Now we get to the rest of the people of Israel, to Micah, to this house, to this statement. They too were doing what was right in their eyes. And then we'll get to the nation really as a whole. But what we find here in this text, for starters, is stealing. Micah has stolen from his mom. And, and perhaps in his fear of being cursed, I mean, you see it, she spoke that curse into my ears. Some say, well, maybe Micah knew. You know, she's like, cursed be the one who take, you know, took the money. And Micah hears that, and maybe that, that's what drives him to say, Mom, it's me. I, I took the 1,100 pieces of silver. Right off the bat, Micah has a passion to take what is not his, to steal, to disobey one of the Ten Commandments. Heartfelt confession of Micah, it's hard to say. He just says, I took it. We can't, from the text, I'm not sure. Was he really repentant? I don't know. But what we do know is the sin of that, it won't stop. It's not like he reformed his whole life from there. It just continues. And look at what happens to the silver. Here's uh, verses 3 and 4. And he, Micah, restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I dedicate the silver to the Lord from my hand for my son to make a carved image and a metal image. Now, I think the next sentence here, just to be maybe technical, I believe in the Hebrew, this is Micah responding back, saying, now therefore I, rest- I will restore it to you. I think that's, it, the wordings can be, feel confusing here. I think that's Micah speaking back to his mom. Regardless, verse 4 now, so when he, Micah, when he restored the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith who made it into a carved image and a metal image. And it was in the house of Micah. The silver is consecrated. And at least part of it, I don't know if the rest of it went for some spec, one speculated uh, maintenance of this house or whatever, but at least part of it goes towards making this carved image and a metal image, i.e. idols that they're making. All right, so a quick review is in order here of what they're doing. The prohibition of the Lord regarding making any image or idol. They take you to two spots. One is in Exodus 20 where we find the Ten Commandments. The second one, God says to His people, He says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. Same word as what we're we're seeing here in Judges 17. Don't do this. God says, "Or, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. 
For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So there's the commandment. Now, once again, Deuteronomy 27. Here, the Levites are speaking, speaking that these blessings or cursings upon the people of Israel. Listen to this. This is what the Levites, hold that thought there, this is what the Levites are to declare. They're to declare this, one of these curses towards the people. Cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image an abomination to the Lord. A thing made by the hands of a craftsman and sets it up in secret. This is not, you probably shouldn't do that. It's a bad idea. It's an abomination. Do not make this. They're making it. Why is it so bad? Why, why is an image so bad? I mean, why? I mean, we might think, wasn't it? Didn't it honor God to make an image of Him to you know create something? It's all about you know that honoring God. Here's again, I'm going to borrow from Wayne Grudem, who we're borrowing from in Sunday school. He says that the prohibition on the making of images is. Let me quote from him. Why this prohibition? It's a reminder that God's being. We've been studying that. His essential mode of existence is different from everything that He has created. To think of His being in terms of anything else in the created universe is to misrepresent Him, to limit Him, to think of Him as less than He really is. That's what the images would do. They would make a lesser God out of a God who is, as we sang about, He is majesty and exalted and beyond this creation. We can see in creation things that are, you know, rocks that are, our God is, is like a rock and we see what He's like, but that doesn't, that's not the whole story of our great and infinitely holy and majestic God. And an image would take away from that. And so the command was clear. And God's exaltation, His honor is at stake. And yet here's these images and they're in the house of Micah. Maybe, a, maybe like a complex of houses, but they're in the house of Micah. But the waywardness does not end with these images as cursed as they are from God. For Micah has, he's going to add up what's going to be, I mean, maybe I'll just call it a mini sanctuary here. A miniature place of God with seemingly everything he needs. Look at verse 5 and all of what kind of seems like he's got before him. So, Verse 5, And the man Micah had a shrine, and he made an ephod, and household gods, and ordained one of his sons who became his priest. So thus Micah gets his own house here. He's got a house of God, or gods if we use the plural, but it's like his own little house. Even though God had a house for himself here at this period, whenever this is, it was in Shiloh. That was the place to be. We get that from chapter 18, verse 31. It says the house of God was at Shiloh. Micah's got a house here, kind of on his own, his own little, his mini house that he's got. His own central place, his own place of worship. He's like franchising here the, the, the place of God. He's got an ephod. That's, what, that's not just a garment. It's the garment of a priest. Time's not going to allow, but I mean, we could go to Exodus 28. If you write that down in your notes, that's describing the ephod. It, it was for the priestly line of Aaron to wear. That's who was to wear it, not, not Micah or his family. 
Uh, I found it's also used for like divination, for discerning God's will. We found it kind of worshipped in the times of um, uh, Gideon. Gideon had an ephod and became a whore, you know, Israel whored after it, that idea. In addition, um, Micah makes these household gods or teraphim. Uh, perhaps, I read somewhere, maybe they were used for divination too. So he's got, he's got the shrine, the ephod, the household gods, and, and, and what else? What, what mini sanctuary is not complete with its own priest? And so Micah says, well, let's get a priest. It'll be my son. I'll just ordain my own son. No, no bothering with the fact that the son is not part of the Levitical priesthood or the line of Aaron. It's just a son. And so we look back on this, verses 1-5, through five, seems pretty clear, even though we may not understand every detail going on, that Micah's house and his worship, it is, it is turned around. His house is upside down or backwards from God's ways. They're stealing graven images, ephods, teraphim, and a wrongly ordained priest. And in the middle comes verse 6. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. There was a God in Israel worthy of worship. That is the God in whose sight Israel was to do right. In fact, much, I think, of Deuteronomy is laying out the commands of God, and and it's worth taking. We're going to take one of two field trips today to Deuteronomy. So come with me back to Deuteronomy chapter 12, uh, verse 8. So find Deuteronomy right before Joshua. So you're, you're close. Just go back to the left. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 8 in particular. I want to look at this and look at a few places in this chapter. I was looking, you know, even just skimming through the rest of Deuteronomy. I mean, there's just so many places to go that are just contrasting what is taking place in the house of Micah. But here's, here's one contrast, and, and it, it, I think it came about trying to think about this phrase, doing what's right in, in his own eyes, and, and, and it uses the phrase here. So, Let's look at this here. Moses, he's speaking these commands. This is before, now before Israel has gone into the promised land. So there's these commands, sermons, if you will, of Moses before they head in. Let's just look at verses 8 through uh, 14 here. It says, You shall not do according to all that we are doing here today, everyone doing whatever is right in his own eyes. For you have not as yet come to the rest, to the inheritance that the Lord your God is giving you, But when you go over the Jordan and live in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and when He gives you rest from all your enemies around so that you live in safety, now listen here, then to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make His name dwell there, there you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and the contribution that you present and all your finest vow offerings that you vow to the Lord. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male servants and your female servants, and the Levite that is within your town since he has no portion or inheritance with you. Take care that you do not offer your burnt offerings at any place that you see, 
but at the place that the Lord will choose in one of your tribes, there you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I am commanding you. There was a place at this point in Judges, we see it's Shiloh. That's where the offerings, and I'm kind of pulling in here, I think the consecrated things like 1,100 pieces of silver, I think that's where it was to be brought, not Micah's house. If you're still in Deuteronomy, just skip down just one more verse here. Verse 28. Look at this. Just again, I, th- I think it's just, again, we're, we're thinking in verse 6 of 17, Judges 17, of doing right in one's eyes. Look here at verse 28 of Deuteronomy 12. So be careful to obey all these words that I command you, that it may go well with you and with your children after you forever. When you do what is good and right, here's the phrase, in the sight of the Lord your God. Israel was not to do what was right in their, they had the wrong eyes, not their eyes. It was to be in the sight of their God, who was the King, the Lord. And lest we think in Deuteronomy, you know, this is just kind of a dull, kind of a monotone, yes, we will obey, we will. I think three times in that chapter, rejoicing comes up as the idea. It's a joy, it's a delight to obey the true king when it's his ways. Because his ways are right, people are to rejoice to do. It's a joy to follow the Lord. Okay, we'll come back to Judges 17 because there's one more case in point coming out of verse 6 now into this Levite that we read about in verses 7 through 13. So Micah's going to get himself, I mean, this looks hopeful, he's going to get himself a real live priest. Not just his son, but, but we're going to find, proposed to you, even this priest is upside down and backwards. Okay? Uh, I'm not going to take time to just reread the whole part of what we just read here for time's sake. We've, we've read... Uh, all of it already, but we've got a sojourning Levite. He's a Levite on a sojourn, looking for a place to dwell. And his background here can seem a bit confusing. He's a Levite, and it says, like, from the family of Judah. And you think, well, isn't a Levite from the family of Levi? And I, I believe he is from the family of Levi. It's just he was in Bethlehem in Judah. That's where he was, he was dwelling. And so he came from there. And I don't know, what re- whatever reason he has left, maybe he's out on, out on his own, you know, I'm, hey, I am of the priestly family, maybe I can drum up some business. I don't know what, why he's out, but he's journeying. And so he comes upon the house of Micah. And long story short, Micah finds him, again, to be better than his own son. I mean, this is a, this is a real Levite. And so... I mean, if you're Micah and you've got a personal house of God and you've got a Levite, I mean, this is just all things are falling, maybe literally, but they're falling into place for him. Let's do pick it up at verse 11. I want to read uh, 11 through 12 here, where it says this. So the Levite's now with Micah, come to his house. And the Levite was content to dwell with the man And the young man became to him like one of his sons. And Micah ordained the Levite, and the young man became his priest and was in the house of Micah. More than than once here, this Levite, he's referred to as a 
a young man. And I just wonder here if the author is trying to point out just the foolishness, the, the youth here. This is a, is a lad. He's got the right background, the priestly background of the Levite, but he's just a youth, and, and yet he's going to serve as a priest. And somehow, like as a, what's confusing is as a father to Micah as well, it's all kind of backwards. It's just different here. But I want to think about this Levite dwelling in this place. Said two field trips, one more, worth the journey. Let's go to Exodus chapter 32. So one more place, head back a little further now to Exodus 32. And in particular, it's going to be verse 20, uh, 25 through 29. So Exodus 32. We're back. We've, we've exited Egypt. God has brought them out, making them their own. Ten commandments. The commands of God have come from the mount, Mount Sinai. But while Moses delays the people, remember, they build that golden calf. And Aaron says, I don't know, I threw in the fire and out came this calf. And This image is built here. So you're getting there. Here's another graven image. The golden calf. This image of of worship and rebellion in Israel. And I want you to take note here of the very first, this ordination of the Levites. Remember in Judges, uh, Micah is is ordaining this Levite to be a priest. Here's the first ordination, and listen to the background of it. Uh, It starts in verse 25 here. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. Verse 29, And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brothers, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. You catch where the Levites were ordained. They're ordained amidst the backdrop of this monumental graven image. That's where it is. They were ordained as those on the Lord's side. So back to verse 12 of Judges 17. Here's a Levite. Catch the contrast. They're they're ordained because they were on the Lord's side. They're going to deal with those who had wrongly worshipped and rebelled. Now you've got a Levite. I think of the Levitical line. What is he? In verse 12, he's content to dwell with Micah and in his house. So instead of this Levite being a voice for the honor of the Lord, I mean, to come in and say, Micah, get rid of all this. Yes, good place. I think I'll just stay here. It's a great place to dwell. He's on the payroll. He's got he's going to make a living. He's got what is it? How many however many pieces, 10 pieces of silver, a new suit of clothes, whatever. Micah has a backwards priest. 
But with eyes blind then, we get to verse 13, with eyes blind to what would truly be pleasing to the Lord. Micah thus concludes in verse 13. And he says this, Now I know that the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite as a priest. It all looked right in Micah's eyes. But the fact is, his eyes are not the standard. God's are. He had all the externals. It looked good. You got the, I got the ephod. I got, the, I got this and I got that. And I even got, I've got a priest. But everything's backwards from how God has clearly ordained what it is to be in His law, in His Word. There was to be one place of worship for this people. One way of worship. And even the Levites to be guardians, I think, to serve that place of worship. But alas, there is no king. And everyone was doing whatever was right in their own, in their own eyes. As we close out at least this chapter, I just have one personal question for, for you to consider. Let's say next week your house is the house we talk about. And we bring it up. I mean, we, we've been talking about a house this week. Let's say next week your house is the house we talk about or where, wherever you're living, your heart. If, if your house was the subject of a sermon next week, what would we find in your house? I want to address even specifically men, men who are called, who you have a family and to lead in your home. What, what would be characteristic of your home? Does it look like this? And all too often we say that's some of what it looks like. Is it backwards? Or what about women? Kids even. Kids that you're hearing this and you're listening in your own house, and what you do in your room and your own time and how you live. Is it backwards? It, you might not be, probably not taking silver this week to be fashioned into some images somewhere, but is there an area of life that is just backwards from what God says? This is the way. Maybe even just to borrow that, the, 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 uh, the things of Micah's house, the ephod, the household gods, and all those sorts of things. Do you even have trinkets of faith in Christ? Maybe, maybe a cross that you wear or a bigger Bible than mine. I know it's thick, but you got, oh, you got a big Bible and you got markers and you got stuff and you're a churchgoer and, and you're home. The question is, in your heart, is your heart a place that is rejoicing and worshiping the God of all these things? We, we have a cross here. May we not be sucked into worship to say we come into this, this sanctuary and this is the place where we meet God because we have one of these. It's a symbol or, we, or communion. It's a symbol. It's to remind us. But we can get off. You know, if I got a, an actual physical cross, I'll be okay. It's, you know, it points us somewhere to the reality what it represents. We want to be careful about having the externals of Christianity and not an inward heart that longs for God, that seeks to do what is right in the sight of God. So it's a test. It's a test for my own house, my own heart, your own heart, your own household as it were. Does it look like verse 6 here? Does it look like you have a king called the Lord your Savior, Jesus Christ? Does it look like you're just doing what's right in your eyes? 
I came across uh, these words from Charles Spurgeon, encouraging words. For you who would say, there's some backwardness to my life. My life looks, there's, there's parts of that. It's backwards. Here's what Spurgeon says. He says, think how prone we are to sin. How apt to choose danger. I mean, let me just stop. I mean, we're, we can look at Micah. We have eyes of faith to say, that's, that's wrong. That's backwards. And yet, we're also, man, we are just, we're like just going, just making it up as we go, doing what's right. Okay. It says, think how prone we are to sin, Spurgeon says. How apt to choose danger. How strong our tendency to stumble and fall. And these reflections will make us sing more sweetly than we have ever done. Sing what? He's working on this verse from Jude, the book of Jude. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Spurgeon says, We have many enemies who try to put us down. The road is rough and we are weak. But in addition to this, enemies hide in ambush and rush out when we least expect them. Try to trip us up or throw us over the nearest cliff. Only an almighty arm can preserve us from these unseen foes who are seeking to destroy us. Such an arm is involved in our defense. He is faithful who has promised, and He is able to keep us from falling so that with a deep sense of our utter weakness, we may cherish a firm belief in our perfect safety and then say this with joyful confidence. And I think he's quoting here from an old hymn. I'm not sure what it is, but here's how it goes. Against me earth and hell combine, but on my side is power divine. Jesus is all, and He is mine. You don't have to buy Jesus like Micah paid a priest. Praise the Lord. You don't have to fill your house with trinkets of Christianity in order to come to the Lord. He came to you in your sinfulness when you did not deserve it and snatched you by His grace. And the price of that redemption, you didn't pay. He paid by His blood on the cross. And who paid it? The King of all kings who invites you to follow Him. And what did that King of all kings? He did everything right. There is no sin in Him. And that's who we hold on to by faith, by God's grace, when everything looks backwards. He is our Savior. May you look to Him this week and trust Him. When you look at your life again and there's sin and there's backwardness, be not discouraged. Run to the cross. And then go. Go and delight to do the will of God. Let's pray. What a grace and blessing it is, Lord. That we did not choose you, but you chose us before the founding of this world to be holy and blameless because of Jesus Christ, our King and Savior. Lord, may any here that have not put that trust and that faith in Jesus alone, not in the trinkets, not in the things they have or the accomplishments they've made in life, may they and we look by faith to Christ alone, the One who perfectly did everything right. 
And Lord, where there is waywardness, where there is a backwardness to our faith, and we know where we need to do things differently than convict us once again, that we wait, that we might walk with you. We thank you for the work that you are doing through varied circumstances, by your grace, training us. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.